0: Where's the trauma-informed education in seminary? I, I'm not seeing it. It needs to be starting right from that place um, so that there is at least that awareness to start with and then, then that possibility of the healing work happening for the leaders that are then bringing that into the communities, so important.
1: In today's episode of Discovering Wholeness, We'll be discussing what trauma is, how trauma is expressed, and why trauma-informed spiritual practices so rare.
2: Season one of Discovering Wholeness is sponsored by the Hayden Institute. Meditation, yoga, dream groups, music, creative expression. Join the Hayden Institute virtually for five days this summer at the Dream and Spirituality Conference. Nine keynotes and more than 30 workshops will help participants engage the unconscious, make meaning, and become more fully who they were created to be. At the Hayden Institute's Dream and Spirituality Conference, participants forge beautiful memories, connections, art, and life-changing insights. Learn more at haydeninstitute.com.
1: Welcome to Discovering Wholeness, a podcast for any human practicing being, for healing trauma and unearthing self. I'm Kendra Frazier.
0: I'm Julian Drader. And I'm
2: Kendall Rothfuss. We are your hosts, and we invite you to join us as we peel
0: back the layers of trauma and discover our innate wholeness. Trauma has been a significant part of many of our journeys, whether those traumas are with a
1: big T or with a little T. We gather each week to discuss trauma, spirituality, and staying grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing.
2: We're so glad you've joined us. You can participate in the larger conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook at Discovering Wholeness Podcast. We're so excited to talk with you because trauma is such an important topic. And we recognize trauma is also a sensitive topic. And so as we begin, we want to invite you into a centering moment. Today, I invite you to take your left thumb and then take your right hand, cup it around your thumb, give it a gentle squeeze, and then switch so that you're left hand is cupping your right thumb giving it a gentle squeeze then you can place your palms together squeezing your hands together feeling that pressure in your palms and then you can move your hands so that each hand is grabbing a wrist right hand over your left wrist left hand over your right wrist Obviously, if you're driving, keep a hand on the steering wheel. You can just do this exercise one arm at a time instead. Uh, But if you're not driving, just with both hands, gently move up your arm, squeezing your forearms, moving up to your biceps, and then ending with a nice, gentle hug, squeezing your arms. if at any point in our session today, your emotions get activated, You can just return to this simple exercise, beginning with squeezing your thumbs, your palms, and moving up your arms.
1: I'm Kendra Frazier, today's episode facilitator, and I'm joined by Kendall Rothis and Jillian Drader. Over the past couple of years, this buzzword of trauma has been pervasive in our society, particularly with COVID-19 coming upon us in 2020 and seeing the exacerbation of mental health vulnerabilities um, in adults and children and everyone. I'm wondering, Jillian, what trauma is? What is this buzzword about? Sure.
0: Thanks, Kendra. It is. You're right. It's a word that gets used a lot. And um, when I explain trauma and and invite people into understanding what that actually looks like or means, I like to differentiate between um, what I call type A traumas and type B traumas. And type A traumas are traumas where they're traumatic because of their absence. So they're things like not being really cherished as a child or celebrated or, you know, just having sort of basic human needs in terms of who we are as people met. Um, Type B traumas are what people most often think about, and they're traumatic because of the ways that they were present. So they're the things that have happened to us from the outside. So that could be um, physical abuse, that can be car accidents, that can be first responders, um, being exposed to, to trauma ongoing and experiencing their own trauma as a result. There's a lot of different ways that those traumas can be experienced, but they're typically what most people think of. Uh, when we say the word trauma. And I think it's important to understand both, um, just because also sometimes we're confused about maybe why we're having what might seem like traumatic reactions, but we, we don't remember a certain event, so to speak. And I hear that a lot of times from people, well, I've never really had this or that or this happen. It's like, yes, and but what about the pieces that were missing for you.
1: That's very helpful. I love the delineation that you're making between type A traumas and type B traumas, particularly in Mm -hmm. the type A, you naming that it is this idea of not being able to experience basic needs as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Many people don't equate that to a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think Mm -hmm. of this idea of adverse childhood experiences and toxic Mm -hmm. stress And I'm wondering um, if you can talk a bit about what adverse childhood experiences are for those that might not be familiar with that and how it may show up in our adulthood.
0: It's such an important piece of work that was done with the adverse childhood experiences research. What the research showed, and it was a very widespread uh, study that was done, is that there are certain experiences that we can go through in childhood, and there's a checklist that can be explored around that, um, that result in in later life, a higher incidence of health issues, for example, um, more likelihood of perhaps being incarcerated, more likelihood of experiencing um, mental health issues or addiction issues and challenges. So there was a very strong correlation that was brought to our awareness uh, around this research and and it doesn't speak to resilience as much as it does just the ways in which we can be impacted but it's important to remember because sometimes we can get overwhelmed when we look at these things and think oh my gosh I've had like all of these have happened to me what does that mean so I just want to invite our listeners um, as we're talking about this to just keep in mind that we're talking about also discovering wholeness so not to be too overwhelmed by what that could look like, but there's some very really strong research around it.
1: Adverse childhood experiences typically happen between the ages of zero to 17. And I'm wondering, Jillian, and you can hop into um, this as well, Kendall, in terms of your experiential knowledge, um, how does trauma show up in adolescence and in preschool students?
0: You know, Kendra, I think one of the, the pieces that I've, come across the most around that is what would look like hyperactivity, often lack of concentration, even um, children, adolescents, and adults being maybe told they have a learning challenge or a learning disability, when in fact what's happening is that trauma has impacted the capacity for the, a person's brain and physiology to stay to be settled, to stay grounded and calm, to be able to concentrate and focus. And we could definitely get into a lot of that to understand how that's the case, but. It very often will look like um, regression, emotionally, cognitively, sometimes a way to tell if a child has maybe been through a traumatic experience and maybe you didn't know about it, that will all of a sudden see behavioral regressions or they're, you know, a child is scared to all of a sudden be alone or if parents leave the house or um, they're having nightmares. And that can show up as well with adolescents um, where there's all of a sudden like what this regression happening. Kendall, is there anything you want to add? I was thinking, you know, I've seen even with my my own daughter who came
2: out of foster care, um, it can also appear as a real withdrawn mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. You know, so just because a kid is being quiet in the classroom, for example, it doesn't mean everything's fine. <laughs> um, that sometimes trauma can look like um, going inside and not, you know, not engaging. Yeah, good point, Kendall.
1: This also makes me think about, because trauma is so pervasive in our communities, it comes into our spiritual spaces, our churches. Mm. And I'm wondering how trauma is expressed in religious communities.
2: I mean, I I see this a lot in um, my line of work. And, you know, one of the things I notice is um, people having a real visceral aversion to certain church related experiences. So even if they're attending a church and their, their trauma happened at some other locations far away, you know, a certain hymn might trigger them a certain, um, a way of talking from a pastor. It could be a, it could be a Bible verse, you know? And so, um, even sometimes walking in the building. I've had people who they can't walk into the church building. So they're, it's 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 like their system is on overdrive, um, just walking in. Something is telling their body that they aren't safe because of the trauma they've gone through in the past.
1: I would definitely agree with you, Kendall. It, it shows up in a variety of ways and you've named that. And that's I feel like one of the things I want people to take away from this podcast is that trauma is relative to the person and it shows up different for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that it's so important Mm -hmm. that you brought up that hymns can be a trigger for people. Um, Mm -hmm. Text in terms of sacred text and scripture, the way that they are utilized. Um, can be triggering for people, particularly if we're talking about the LGBTQ community, and there's a spiritual yes. leader or a pastor lifting up what many will refer to as clobber passages to oppress um, same gender loving people and queer people. I'm wondering, um, and and I know as a queer person in community, part of the thing that triggered me was feeling like I was an an abomination. So I'm wondering, how do you all feel that um, trauma shows up within the LGBTQ community? Mm. I mean,
2: I have encountered so many folks who, you know, they have been told that they are going to hell or that God doesn't love them or that they aren't welcome um, and, Man, that gets inside you. That goes deep, you know. And so, even if you um, arrive at a place, sort of theologically or intellectually, where you no longer agree with that, it's still, it's still with you on a kind of feeling level. So it shows up. um, I've seen it show up with a lot of shame for people, um, even if they they no longer believe on a cognitive level that, that they're doing anything wrong. They still feel a lot of shame just in expressing themselves. They feel shame holding hands with their partner in public. They feel shame when they are making their engagement announcement, which should have been a happy moment, you know? Um, and a lot of, a lot of people who they maybe have a life where they're able to be out and open with their friends. But when they go to church, they then, um, they have to hide and keep secrets. And so they're not able to bring their full self um, to the church.
0: Yeah, I, I really hear that, Kendall. And, and I would say that my experience of, of sitting in the, the pain, the shame, and the terror at times with some of the people that I have um, sat with that have experienced that judgment, but to the degree of like, those kinds of really strong words like abomination and you're going to hell. And it's so heart-wrenching to see the level of pain and fear that no matter how many times we, you know, try to validate and be present, it's just this, but what if I'm wrong? What if they're right? Like that black and white. Yeah, just heartbreaking.
2: You know, I did all this theological work pretty early on as a pastor to kind of undo that training or way of thinking. And so I was doing all this work affirming the LGBTQ community. And it was still several years later before I explored my own sexual identity. So it was almost like I, just to keep myself safe, I kind of compartmentalized those. And so I was able to accept people on the outside, but I hadn't really explored myself on the inside. Um, So yeah, I think that's just a sign of how, you know, how deep it can go. Um, and I also think about the sexuality piece that, that that's not just something that shows up for the LGBTQ community because um, there's so much shame, right, around um, uh, having a baby outside of wedlock or um, having sex before marriage or, or even having sexual desires. And so um, it shows up in all sorts of people, straight, gay, or otherwise, you know, somewhere in between. That there's a lot of shame around sexuality. There's a lot of fear. Um, often people don't, aren't even able to experience sexual pleasure. I've I've, ex- I've encountered many women who that has been their case because they've completely shut that part of their their brain and their bodies down. So I think it shows up um, for for a lot of people who've experienced a sort of strong purity culture. Um, or a lot of um, shaming around their bodies.
1: Absolutely, you—you you both have named so many things that we could spend an hour talking about and diving more <laughs> deeply into. Unfortunately, we yes. don't have an hour, but some of the things that you all have alluded to makes me think of this external locus of control that happens in dogmatic spiritual communities where knowledge is derived from this pastor, or yes. from the spiritual leader, which speaks to our challenge with exploring ourselves internally. Um, that way of being controlled by feeling like the spiritual leader or the pastor is the go-to leaves little room for you to have a sense of discovery of self. Um, So I'm so grateful that you brought that up, Kendall. Um, I'm thinking about just in my own spiritual journey, how it wasn't until I actually had the courage to ask God, so what do you say about my same gender attraction? You know, I was often relying on my pastor or how people interpreted the Bible and not on my direct connection with God, which is what I believe Jesus points us to, is this relationship between ourselves, between each other and with God. Um, And so thank you all for lifting those things up. I'm wondering why is it um, so rare for trauma-informed spiritual practice to happen inside of our churches?
0: You know, I, I think, Kendra, one of the big reasons I've seen around that is just the focus on spiritualizing so much with um, and pushing away in a lot of circumstances what's maybe considered secular or worldly in terms of um, understanding psychological pieces of people's experience or the emotional parts of us. Um, And so very, very often, unfortunately, um, I think just lack of information about what trauma is and understanding that, but also this, this kind of uh, resistance to humanistic psychology, so to speak, and that, um, you know, we just need to be praying more or all of the spiritual language that is, is often thrown at people that, that can be just more traumatizing because it's a it's then negating what a person might've taken a huge amount of courage to come forward with to a spiritual um, leader to have it put into a category that really negates it um, is, is just pushing it further down and adding more of a layer to that traumatic experience. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Jennifer Freid's work, who is a researcher um, who looked at betrayal Theory. She was one of the first people to look at the relationship dynamic within trauma. And um, she found that the most extreme symptoms, so the more PTSD type symptoms that we might see in an individual comes when whatever the traumatic experience was incorporated, not only a high level of fear, but a high level of betrayal. And I think about that, like the trusted leaders that we may go to in our church settings, if that is not received well, um, or if and in the case of Jennifer's research, you know, if they were the perpetrators or the people who were imposing the trauma, whatever that is, it just escalates the impact. Yeah, that's so true, Jillian. And and what that
2: reminds me of too is I think there is and has been such a culture of cover up mm-hmm. um, in in religious settings and. Um, so I think that's part of the reason trauma informed care is rare is because in order to talk about trauma you have to be honest about the abuses that have happened. <laughs> um, you know and, and and Kendra when you were talking about the external locus of control right it's it's like in some of these environments we get we get the religious pastor leader person equated with Absolutely. god right? And so then they lose we lose the ability to hold those people accountable because, um, we've equated them and given them too much power. Um, and so there's a real hesitancy to name what is broken name, what is wrong. Um, and I think that is a a really big reason why we don't talk about trauma because, um, if we talk about trauma particularly the betrayal piece we have to talk about who's done the betraying
1: yeah wow ouch that is some Mm. good stuff i mean (laughs) i i am amazed at how much we equate our spiritual leaders with the divine in ways that don't make Mm. room for them to be human and be held accountable as you said kendall
2: Now that we have been discussing trauma for a little while, I want to invite you back to the grounding exercise we used at the beginning of this episode. So just take a minute to, uh, once again, using your right hand to cup your left thumb, giving it a gentle squeeze, taking your left hand, cupping your right thumb, giving it a gentle squeeze, putting your palms together, feeling the pressure in your palms, and taking each hand and squeezing your wrists so your right hand is over your left wrist, your left hand is over your right wrist, and then gently moving up your forearms, gentle squeeze up your biceps. I think this feels good. Just gentle squeezes, ending finally by hugging yourself.
0: Are you a woman in ministry and looking for wholehearted connection with peers, ones who get the ups and downs of vocational life? At Root, Grow, Thrive, nourish your soul with retreats, groups, spiritual direction, workshops, and more. Get inclusive, embodied, trauma-informed care. Root, Grow, and Thrive at RootGrowThrive.com
1: Welcome back to Discovering Wholeness. I'm Kendra Frazier, today's episode facilitator, and I'm joined by Kendall Rathis and Jillian Drader. One of the things that came up for me as you all were speaking was this, in my experience, witnessing pastors who aren't intentional about their own healing and come from dysfunctional family systems, recreate that family system within the church ethos. So then you have this spiritual environment that is um, impacted by a lack of healthy communication, is impacted by verbal abuse, It's impacted by emotional abuse. And just like the critique that many of my colleagues had going through seminary is this idea that there's no, um, spiritual formation happening inside of our seminaries. And I believe that our churches also experience um, that as well. I'm wondering, Kendall, since you are um, a a pastor, if you've been able to see that in your colleagues as well, or in the churches that you have served within.
2: You know, I was thinking to kind of combine a couple things we've talked about here. <laughs> I, I think particularly that whole notion of, um, the take up your cross thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times pastors, I see this, especially with women pastors. I think it could be, it could be any pastors, this notion of you're just supposed to kind of die to self and take whatever a congregation throws at you, no matter how harmful it is. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting because the pastors can sometimes be the perpetrators of trauma, but they can also be on the receiving end of that as well. Um, and so I think we're, we're almost taught sometimes to go into these places of service, um, without a sense of a boundaryed self, um, and that sort of sets us up, um, to not only receive poor treatment, um, but maybe even also to, to give it right. Because if, if I don't have boundaries, if I'm not able to tell people no, then I'm going to expect other people to not have boundaries with me as well. Um, so it becomes this, I think it can become a a
0: cycle. I think you bring up such an important point, Kendra and Kendall, like everything you've said around, the, the importance of church leaders spiritual leaders doing their own work and not recreating exactly what you said um with their their unresolved stuff family issues their own trauma um, and cultivating even in training seminary trainings like where's the trauma-informed education in seminary i i'm not seeing it um i don't know if i'm you know i'm happy to be corrected if it's happening, but it, it needs to be starting right from that place um, so that there is at least that awareness to start with. And then, then that possibility of the healing work happening for the leaders that are then bringing that into the communities. So, so, so important.
2: Yeah. Because if you, as a leader, haven't done your work around uh-huh. trauma and healing, how could you possibly bring the sensitivity that you need to bring right to the people you're
0: working with right
1: absolutely and
0: maybe not even acknowledge that trauma is a thing you Mm -hmm. know like Mm -hmm. just that no 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 like you know on all then the spiritual language that comes after that to negate um and and the other thing that's coming to my mind in to add a little bit too that was as you were both sharing is this whole idea of the forgiveness thing, the forgiveness, you know, like just moving so quickly to forgiveness um, and not actually acknowledging what has happened, what has transpired, holding anybody accountable, you know, all of those pieces for healing. Um, But it's just this expectation that, well, you know, your, your call is to forgive. And so it all just goes underground again. Um, And then there's more shame attached to that because, well, what if I actually don't want to, then I'm just internally raging um, and judging myself because I'm supposed to be this loving, forgiving person because I call myself a follower of Christ. So that's another arena, I think that re-traumatizes and um, yeah, can be very damaging.
1: Thank you for reminding us, Jillian, that forgiveness is a process um and that it can be re-traumatized and i think you said this in the last episode kendall to push somebody into forgiveness when they are not ready um that's that's great i'm wondering because people don't often talk about we always want to get to the healing we all and uncover the wholeness access the wholeness but we don't often talk about the challenges the challenges of the healing experience. We don't often talk about the challenges of the healing experience and how healing can be tough and not feel good at times. I'm wondering what are the risks involved in exploring trauma?
2: You know, one risk that we've had to talk about just in in putting this podcast together, is that even as you're trying to talk about trauma in a in a helpful way, it can it can trigger stuff, right? I mean, even after we we, we um, had our last podcast, I felt so tired afterwards, <laughs> and I think it's because you know it was tapping into some of my own stuff, and so doing this work can bring up um, even unexpected traumas that you didn't realize were there. So. So there's some re-traumatization that can potentially occur, especially if you don't have good support, especially if you don't have good tools. Um, so that's certainly, I don't think that's a reason to avoid doing the work, um, but it is a, it is a, um, it's a good reminder that, that in order to work with our trauma, we need good
0: support. We need good tools um, in order to do it well and to avoid re-traumatization. Yeah, that's such a good point, Kendall. And I, I think the other piece that can often happen is loss of relationships that, you know, mm-hmm. a person comes forward and, you know, discloses their trauma and how that's impacting them and it's not received well, or it's negated or people don't want to hear about it. And so then there can be this isolation, this cutoff um, we, within our own families. Sometimes if there's um you know, fear around having to address anything. So loss of relationships can be a reality and we can get dysregulated. So that's, again, part of the reason why we're inviting our listeners into the exercises, the grounding exercises is just to also offer that as, as some tools for you to take away um, because we will get dysregulated um, physiologically and emotionally and mentally when we sort of look at these really hard places. But it's okay, we can get through them and, um, and, and just know that there is support available, but it's hard.
1: It would be only appropriate for us to end this episode talking about what it actually means to be trauma-informed. What does trauma-informed care look like, whether that is in a spiritual community, in the workplace, um, in our educational systems? What does that mean, Jillian?
0: Well, to me, that means having some basic understanding of what actually does happen physiologically in the body so that and the brain when we've been traumatized so that we can be aware of that with um, the people that we're sitting with within ourselves um, and to be uh, sensitive to the ways in which people can be triggered Um, not to have all the answers where we don't have to be experts and know absolutely everything and and take care of all those sorts of details but to know that people can be triggered, to know what that would look like in a, in a situation where I'm with somebody, and to know how to help bring somebody back into their, their body, their awareness with the, the kinds of things that we've been doing um, on our podcast around grounding. Um, yeah, just to, to know what to look for, how to support
1: Absolutely. It also looks like it being um, integrated into our policy and procedures in terms of safety, not only physical safety, but what emotional safety looks like in our environments that we occupy. So important. And I think in a conversation earlier, Jillian, you talked about the importance of being able to offer people choice when you are supporting them in navigating their own trauma, um, whether that is the choice to reach out to a beloved one um, that they trust, whether that is a choice to reach out to a mental health provider, whether that is the choice to um, access um, a, a, a mental health facility or clinic um, to give people options to, to, to feel empowered. This
2: is when I just really believe in strongly Um Because if you think about um, some, some of particularly religious trauma, going back to that idea of external locus of control, right? Like people have had someone else telling them what to do, what to think, what to believe. So when someone is coming to you from that traumatized place, if you don't give them choice, then you're just yet another source of external authority, right? And so there are ways in which as pastors, as spiritual directors, as clinicians, even as friends, you know, if you're inviting someone into, say, even a grounding exercise of some sort, giving a simple option of, you know, you can close your eyes or you can leave them open, (laughs) you know, just something that simple is a truly a trauma informed practice, because what you're doing is you're giving agency back to the person. And they have been a part of a system that took their agency away and you're returning it to them and and saying, I believe that what you feel, what you sense is what you should go with. And that's not the message often that a traumatized person has received. So the more choice you give someone, the more empowerment You are giving them. Um, And so, you know, even if someone starts to talk about a difficult subject, then you can say, Would you like to tell me more about that? Or would you like to talk about this instead? You know, just continually offering people choice versus pushing them. That way they have to tune into their emotional self, their. Um, sense of what works for them, um, instead of you assuming you know, because otherwise that just puts you right back in that place of you're the, you're the external
0: authority rather than they're their own authority. You just tweaked my mind there, um, Kindle around just the whole like, importance of understanding the power dynamic and even naming it in a situation where perhaps it's a spiritual leader who's meeting with somebody who's brought... Um, you know, their trauma forward, just really being immediate with that. Like I am not the expert in the room here and empower and giving that power back and not holding it and, and just naming it because it's there, whether you want to be caring, kind, compassionate, don't see yourself in that way. It's there in the room. So also acknowledging that I think is really important and, um, and everything, you know, around choice. Sometimes that even looks like, inviting a person to get up and and open a door and walk out of a room if they never had that opportunity. Um, and I've done that with people where, you know, what, what is your body wanting to do right now? Because sometimes in that power place or feeling of uh, feeling of oppression, a person felt frozen. Um, so being able to get up, move around, just noticing, but that power piece is really important to be aware of.
1: Thank you both, Jillian and Kendall, for the wisdom that and insight that you all have offered. I feel empowered just from listening to the dialogue that you all have had. Um, I want anybody that's listening to know that if there are things that you want us to talk about or things that you want to hear, we definitely have an outline of the Things that we want to lift up, but we really want to know what's on your heart and mind. So we want to invite you all to share, particularly on our social media platforms on Facebook or on Instagram. Thank you all for such a beautiful conversation, and I look forward to our next episode.
0: As we close this episode today, we invite you to join us in the following practice. Again, just noticing your feet on the floor, wherever you are, if you're able to do that. And in this moment, we invite you to place your right hand over your heart. Notice how that feels in your body. And say aloud, I am whole.
1: I'm Kendra Frazier.
0: I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Raffis. We are Discovering Wholeness, Healing Trauma, Unearthing Self.
1: Join us in conversation at Discovering Wholeness Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Discovering Wholeness is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. If you are in
2: crisis and need help in the United States, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.
0: In Canada, call the Centre for Suicide Prevention at 1-833-456-4566. That's 1-833-456-4566.
1: You can also use the crisis text line from either country by texting the word HOME to 741 741. That's HOME, H O M E, to 741 741, to access a crisis counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week.